It is set up as a dark money organization so it can hide political donors. That's what it does. And it was used to coordinate with the Trump campaign specific. I mean, I didn't write this. This is what's written in the emails. It's, it boggles my mind to even think about it. I spent a lot of time looking through these documents and I also filed a lot of the links that were in there and I archived as many of them as I could. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Nearly two months after Donald Trump lost his campaign for re-election, a call went out to supporters. It urged them to come to protest at the Capitol on January 6th. I'm calling from the Rule of Law Defense Fund with an important message. The March to Save America is tomorrow in Washington, D.C. at the Ellipse in President's Park between E Street and Constitution Avenue on the south side of the White House, with doors opening at 7 o'clock a.m. At 1 o'clock p.m., we will march to the Capitol building and call on Congress to stop the steal. And that call was paid for by the Rule of Law Defense Fund. That's a political subsidiary of the Republican Attorneys General Association. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is the vice president of the association. He has said that he didn't know about the Rule of Law Defense Fund's robocall. But what did he know? And when did he know it? Alad Gross is a former assistant attorney general under Schmidt's predecessor. He recently sought answers to those questions, and he found some surprising information. He joins us today to discuss it. Alad, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So you and attorney Mark Pedroli put in a Sunshine Law request for records from Attorney General Eric Schmidt's office. What did you think you'd find in that request? <laughs> Personally, I thought we weren't going to find... Uh, anything. The the request involved, you know, documents, um, communications around the rule of law defense fund, uh, the Republican Attorneys General Association. And uh, having worked there before, I didn't think there would be any emails from these political groups, uh, you know, within the attorney general's office at all. Uh, was very surprised to find out I was very wrong about that. Hmm. So what did you find? We received 90 pages of documents. Uh, they included a whole bunch of information that um, really uh, you know, is, is pretty upsetting for me and I think for a lot of folks who used to work in an office and probably folks who still work there. Uh, but it, it demonstrated that state attorneys general, uh, high-ranking officials from their offices were attending political group meetings during work hours. Hmm. Taxpayer-paid staff were using state resources to push political agendas and, and political ambitions of folks. And uh, that includes the, uh, the robocall that you just had that was funded by one of those groups. Uh, and uh, the emails documented many, many meetings that high-level staff officials uh, in many states in our country were having uh, that were put on by this group to discuss plans around election integrity and what to do if Donald Trump lost the election. Hmm. And I want to talk about some of the specifics you found in the records, but I want to go to this idea of, of why you were surprised about this um, and, and the state resources used in this. Your surprise is that things like state email addresses aren't supposed to be used for this kind of business. Is, is that right? Yeah, actually, no, no state resources at all can be used for these things. And we had an attorney general who actually went to prison uh, he was sentenced to a two-year uh, term of imprisonment uh, in the early 90s. 
Uh, and I mean, he did a whole lot of stuff, but the stuff that he uh, <laughs> pled guilty on uh, was using uh, a copy machine for for you know some campaign materials and things that he said. Oh, I didn't know it was illegal at the time. But uh, we our, our law is very clear, and the law of many states is very clear that you cannot use public resources for uh, political purposes. And that's that's what these emails uh, are. I mean, that's what they're they're showing. Not only not only was the email account used for that purpose, but taxpayer paid staff were were doing this on on work time. It's it just it's it boggles my mind to even think about it. So let's talk about a couple of the specifics. One of these emails, this came from the executive director of the Republican Attorneys General Association. He wrote on September 25th, thank you to the 30 plus AG staff members who came to Atlanta and the other 12 who participated virtually. It was a fast paced, productive series of war games, which hopefully will not have to be utilized in November. War games. Do we know what he's talking about there? We we do. Um, and so I, I, I spent a lot of time looking through these documents, and I also filed a lot of the links that were in there, and I archived as many of them as I could uh, just in case folks would come in and try to delete them afterwards. But I, I wrote a report to try to get all this information out to the public. Uh, what we do know from those war games is I was able to find an agenda from that meeting, and they, they called this the War Games meeting. It was in Atlanta. Uh, I think it was 32... Um, staff members of attorneys general's offices all across the country came together for this two-day meeting and it was in late September of this past year. They came to Atlanta. There were another 12, I believe, who participated virtually, including the Solicitor General of Missouri. They uh, had an agenda for that meeting and, you know, it was all on a whole bunch of different topics, but one of the longer sessions was a two-hour session was about election integrity. And uh, it was referred to, as, as you just mentioned, planning for what might happen if President Trump lost the election. And as we all know now, uh, attorneys general throughout the country used uh, what they did after that election result. They actually used their offices to, to challenge, without any basis whatsoever, the election results in, in states that they weren't even a part of. They weren't even in. And uh, that happened all throughout the country, and it was led by, apparently, by this group, the the Republican Attorneys General Association and their dark money organization, the Rule of Law Defense Fund. It's interesting. I've seen these emails that you acquired through this Sunshine Law request. They don't say that they're going to have a series of conversations planning for what happens if they win and, you know, that win isn't recognized. They they flat out characterize this as conversations planning for what could come if we lose. And yet they're still going into war games mode. does that strike you as weird as a, a former assistant attorney general? This this whole thing strikes me as weird. I mean, this is a I, when I worked there, uh, I was told, and and this is not just me. I mean, this is pretty common for folks who worked there long before I was there too. Uh, we were told you can't be involved uh, politically with this kind of stuff at all during work hours. Like what you do on your own time, fine, but. Uh, I mean, you can just see there were there were emails in here about, hey, we're going to have senior staff get together and we're all going to meet uh, at this time uh, during during work hours. And this, like I said, I mean, certainly uh, I asked for records from Missouri's attorney general, but this implicates attorneys general all across the country. Uh, the 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 some of the group groups that were set up at some of these meetings, they divided it by what position you held within your office, and that included solicitors general who are normally in charge of the appeals process. So that would oftentimes go, you know, for a lot of these election challenges too, the solicitors general would be the ones who are involved. 
Oftentimes, they're below the attorney general in the hierarchy. Uh, it was for communication staff. So now we're using communication staff for attorneys general's offices on political things. Uh, and it was also for chiefs of divisions who are, you know, those folks who are the head of the different units and divisions within attorneys general's offices all across the country, too. So, uh, yeah, weird is one way to put it. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it just... Like I said, this is this was really disheartening to see. Like I said, I thought there wasn't going to be anything here because I couldn't even imagine using an office that I believe should be nonpartisan from the very beginning anyway. But to use chief law enforcement officers all across the country in in this scam on the public uh, is is really unfortunate. You know, one thing, an email that really stood out in this this packet that you were able to get your hands on, this is from Peter Bisbee. He's the executive director of the Rule of Law Defense Fund. On January 4th, he gave the Missouri Attorney General's office basic details for a, quote, AG senior staff call with his defense fund the next day. Now, that next day, that's the same day that the robocall went out that I played earlier in the show. This robocall is calling for people to come down to the Capitol and to protest. What do you make of that? Yeah, it, it wasn't just a protest. It was literally, as you played it, it said to stop the steal. So it was promoting uh, this, this fake narrative about how this election was stolen, uh, and it brought folks there. And, and it wasn't just uh, this rule of law. You know, they had this meeting on January 5th, but uh, in person, the executive director of the Republican Attorneys General uh, association who you mentioned before, Adam Piper. He actually resigned after all of this, but he was present in Washington, D.C. on January 5th. He was in a meeting with some high-ranking folks from the Trump campaign. He was also there with the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, uh, and Ken Paxton also participated on January 6th at the Capitol. So, I mean, the, this group was very much involved with this whole thing, um, and, you know, there's certainly other things in the emails, too, that are very concerning. Corporate influence, for example, was something that was just rampant in what these emails was showing, too. Hmm. So I, I, it's there's a lot here that really does, in my view, it, it certainly requires further investigation. And it's something that I've been working on now, requesting records from uh, states that were involved in this, too. And I've been getting some responses back so far, but obviously it's a little bit of a process. So. Give me an example of what you mean by corporate influence that you're seeing in these emails. Yes, yeah, so there was um, there was an agenda for a meeting from uh, July, and uh, th- these groups oftentimes, I mean, they're getting in political donations. They get them in from big corporations. There's also a Democratic version of this that does the same in this way. Uh, but but here you could actually see uh, an agenda of attorneys general who were holding special sessions with representatives of corporations, oftentimes for 20 minutes at some roundtable event. Uh, the one that uh, attorney, one of the two that Attorney General Schmidt was involved in was with a representative from Anheuser-Busch, and it was entitled The Business of Making Friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were several other of these meetings that occurred with, with some folks who were lobbying Uh, our states for certain policies. Uh, The Alabama attorney general held a session with somebody from Facebook, and he happens to be one of the very few attorneys general who's not suing Facebook in antitrust litigation right now. And there's a lot of this conflict of interest issue uh, right here in these meetings. But in addition to that, there was a document from the Republican attorneys general that shows that if you donate at a certain level, you as the corporation get access not only to the attorney general, but to, to the attorney general's senior staff. 
And those levels start at $50,000, but the more money that you pay, the more access that you received. And that, again, I mean, in addition to the political influence that's being imposed on uh, uh, officials who are taxpayer paid, who are not supposed to be used for political purposes, we're also seeing a lot of corporate influence as well. And uh, previous investigations that I've done have shown that our attorney general, despite having a conflict of interest policy, actually isn't enforcing it and isn't following it either. So, I mean, this kind of connects to a lot of the work that I've been doing over the years. And it's, mm. it's just unfortunate to see because it's such an important office that can do so much for folks. And it's charged with doing so much, especially regulating corporations, protecting consumers. And we cannot have an office like that compromised if we are going to have justice for Missourians. Our guest today is attorney Elad Gross. He's um, really digging into some public records that he got from the Missouri Attorney General's office. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back to continue this conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking to attorney Elad Gross. Um, He has acquired a number of public records from the Missouri Attorney General's office that suggest that uh, they were very involved in efforts to try to stop uh, the results of the presidential election to basically stop the loss that President Trump suffered. We do want to mention we reached out to Attorney General Eric Schmidt's office for comment, and they referred us to a statement previously supplied to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. In it, they said the Rule of Law Defense Fund is a, quote, policy organization. And as you can expect, we collaborate with other Republican attorney general's offices on matters of policy, sign-on opportunities, and potential lawsuits, just as we do with broader organizations like the National Association of Attorneys General. Alad, is that comparison accurate? No, it's it's not at all. Uh, I am very familiar with the organization, the National Association of Attorneys General, having uh, worked with them, and it is a uh, great organization that really helps folks in those offices coordinate all around the country on important policy matters. This one, I, I don't know who in the world can say that it is a it is a policy organization after what it has done. I mean, it is it is set up as a dark money organization so it can hide political donors. That's what it does. And it was used to coordinate with the Trump campaign specific. I mean, I didn't write this. This is what was written in the emails. It coordinated with Trump camp, the Trump campaign. It coordinated with different attorneys general's campaigns. I mean, in, in the emails that we received from these two organizations, folks, attorneys general all across the country were getting updates on how this group was spending money in elections, was spending mm-hmm. money on their elections in some situations, which is also illegal. Uh, so I, I am, no, I mean, this excuse excuse is 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 awful and it's it's unfortunate that that is the language that's being peddled to the public right now because it's it's not true and the attorney general unfortunately that is the office that is supposed to hold scams like this accountable and uh, I mean that's that's obviously not happening. So, Elad, you ran for attorney general as a Democrat. Um, you did lose in the primary. What would you say to those who would suggest that your motive here is partisan? 
Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. They were doing that before I was running for office. They were calling me a partisan something or another, and that was always fun. Uh, I've been looking into this stuff for many years uh, before I was running for office. It was one of the reasons why I decided to run for that office, because I care so much about our state government. And the reason is because this state is, it seems like in so many different areas, it is not serving the people of our state. It's serving somebody who's got some agenda somewhere else, but not us. And, you know, I, I come from a background where I've been working with kids in St. Louis City for 13, almost 14 years now. And that's where I started in terms of, I guess you would call public service. It's a nonprofit that teaches kids math. But, uh, you know, for me, that, that's the motivation that I have behind all of this. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I, I guess if folks want to come and character assassinate me for one reason or another, fine. But, but I would like answers to these questions, and I want to know why our taxpayer money is being used to prop up somebody's political agenda. So you're making these documents available to people who want to look through them, and, and you're publicizing what you found. What would you like to see happen um, now that we know what's in these documents and, and we have these facts that you've uncovered? Yeah, you're exactly right. Everything that I've got, uh, I make very open. It's very transparent. Um, I, I'm getting more documents, like I said, from other states, too. In fact, I just got a document from South Carolina that uh, when somebody asked the South Carolina attorney general, well, aren't you using all of our money to file these briefs in court? Their response was, oh, no, don't worry. Missouri spent that money. Missouri was the one that wrote this. We just read it. So, uh, you know, it's just That's a, that, all, you must have did your jaw drop when you saw I, that it. Just, it just, and you know what was really nice? And I've got to say, there are wonderful staff members all across the country in Idaho. They've been really wonderful. South Carolina, the guys are, are great over there that I've interacted with. Uh, the person, the communications guy for that office really seems to take a lot of time to respond to hate mail and people who have criticisms. Like, it's really long emails explaining everything. So, yeah, oh. my jaw dropped, but it was very nice to see that, that kind of openness. But I think what we need to see in Missouri is we need to see a few things. One, we need to improve public transparency. So we need to improve Missouri's sunshine law to make sure the public can access public records. Uh, two is I think we need to ban the practice of using hidden campaign contributions that are called dark money. Other states have done it. The federal government is working on doing it right now. Uh, I think Missouri needs an end dark money act as soon as possible. And I think that we need to see an investigation into the use of state taxpayer funded resources for political purposes in the attorney general's office. Who would be the proper person to do that investigation in your estimation? I think I think that the legislature should be the one that gets involved here because, you know, they're, they're representing folks folks from all over the state, and I think that they, they've done oversight actions like this before, uh, most notably with a former governor of ours, Governor Eric Greitens, who ended up resigning. Um, I think that the state auditor oftentimes does these kinds of investigations too, and the Secretary of State does because some of these do involve uh, election laws as well. So this, I know the Secretary of State had participated in one in conjunction with the auditor previously, so I do hope that our state officials get involved and, and begin their investigations. And then the federal government, uh, the Department of Justice, does have uh, anti-corruption units that can investigate these things as well. You also mentioned you'd like to see um, a change or changes to Missouri's Sunshine Law. I know you're really active on this front. We were actually talking about you on our legal roundtable just last week. Pure coincidence, um, mm -hmm. a Sunshine Law suit that you had brought. What's one thing that you would like to see changed in that Sunshine Law? 
I think, you know, I, I think one thing that we can do now, and some offices are doing it, is we can put public records online and make them very easily accessible for folks. Hmm. They can just go there and, and look for what they want. Um, you know, I, I think that we're just not, I mean, all of these records are electronic, so many of them are, and, and we're not really using that technology to our advantage to really push transparency. But yeah, I'm currently in the Supreme Court right now. Uh, I argued a case to uh, prevent the government from charging uh, for an attorney to review every document uh, before they give it to us and then charge us for that that cost, uh, which would just make these things astronomically expensive. But I think we can do a lot of clarifications in the Sunshine Law. And one idea that I really love is establishing uh, an ombudsman's office that enforces Missouri's Sunshine Law that represents just the interests of the people, not any of these agencies, doesn't have these kinds mm. of conflicts of interest, and uh, make sure that we're, we're enforcing the law like we should be. Well, a lot gross. I really like some of these ideas, and I hope that some legislatures who care about transparency in government will decide to run with some of these changes, having more records online. How, how simple and nice would that be? So thank you so much for joining us today and getting us up to speed on these projects, and we hope you'll keep us posted as, as this uh, effort continues. Will do. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast. One quick note before we go. This next week will be marking one full year since Missouri Governor Mike Parson declared a state of emergency amid the COVID-19 pandemic. He did that just hours after then-President Trump declared the pandemic a national emergency. On March 12, we're planning a special edition of St. Louis on the Air devoted to reflections on the past year. And we'd love to hear yours. What have you found yourself grieving over in recent months? What has brought you joy or strength? Or a different question to ponder, if you like. What's the thing that has surprised you the most during all of this? You can share your reflection by leaving us your first name, where you're calling from, and a brief voicemail. Call 314-516-6397 to leave us your message. Again, that's 314-516-6397. And if you'd prefer to write out your thoughts, you can email talk at stlpublicradio.org. Thanks so much for listening. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.